0: Welcome to Hydrant Online. We're so glad that you've joined us as we wrap up this series that's looking at some of the themes from the book of Daniel. More than kind of walking step by step through the book, what we've been doing is looking at some of the stories and looking at some of the behaviors of Daniel to explore how they can teach us about living out a faithful life in a world that seems to be so different than what we believe it should be. That seems to look so different than the the way that God designed humanity to live. We called it thriving in Babylon. And Babylon is kind of this image of a broken world, of, of an empire that is driven to acquire more wealth, to acquire more land, to acquire more weapons, to acquire more dominance in the world. And as it continues to to mass these weapons and amass the wealth and the the effects that it has on the earth and the people around them is always destructive. And yet we find Israel as this little nation calling out to God, calling out in faith and hope and trust that God is at work on their behalf, even in a world like this. And over and over again in scripture, Israel is uh, conquered by empire after empire after empire. And so we can learn from them what it is to live in a world where we don't have power, to live in a world where we've come to the limits of ourselves, to live in a world that operates with different values and, and, and different beliefs than we as followers of Jesus hold. So what we've looked at in this series is to kind of look at the overarching story and remind ourselves and see that, that it takes hope and humility and wisdom to follow God and to thrive in Babylon. And as, as Miranda took us into the story of Daniel and the lions in one of the most well-known stories in the book, we, we heard about the kind of faith that trusts God even when life throws us into the lion's den. And then over the last couple of weeks, we've been unpacking a hope that leads to courage. Without hope, there is no courage. Without courage, we have no opportunity, no ability to live out our faith in this world. But there is hope rooted in God and His vision for all creation. When we add to that hope, humility, we earn credibility in the world. We saw Daniel humbly serve those who were above him, humbly submit to their leadership and their authority, and therefore earned credibility, and later the opportunity to speak to their needs and to a God who is at work and is greater than anything and anyone. Today, we want to look at the last of those three characteristics that really define what it means to thrive in Babylon. We want to look at wisdom. You see, wisdom kind of adds this superpower to the mix by giving us perspective. Giving us perspective. Really, even though there are parts of the Old Testament, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs that are kind of grouped into this Type of literature known as wisdom literature. It wasn't until about 200 years ago that that distinction was really made. You see, for God's people, the whole book, the whole story is about wisdom. Everything contained in this book is about teaching us the wisdom of heaven, the wisdom of God, and how to live out in this order that he has created with wisdom. It's about learning the wisdom that is required of us in Genesis to rule and have dominion over creation and to to develop it and bring the best out of it. The real question is, where are we going to find wisdom? In a lot of ways, when we go to the book of Proverbs, it's almost a commentary back on those early chapters of Genesis. And in Proverbs chapter 9, we find these contrasting invitations. First is, is Lady Wisdom, who calls out and invites us to hear wisdom, to live by wisdom, and to find life. And then almost echoed in opposites is Lady Folly, who invites us to follow our own wisdom, to follow our own ideas. And what we find is that it leads us to destruction. Because in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, we read these words, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You see, we need both a knowledge of God, a relationship with God, and and a fear of God that will teach us wisdom. You see, it's rooted back in that Genesis story. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God creates man and woman. He creates uh, man and woman as humanity to Have dominion over the earth, to care and continue to join him in the development of creation, to bring the best out of what he has created. He began the work in those days of creation in this beautiful poetic way. The author tells us about a God who is creative, a God who has dominion and power over creation. And in the midst of this chaos, he created us and he invited us to join in him, with join with him in relationship, to join with him in ruling over creation. But we needed something more. The picture of Adam and Eve in Genesis is, is almost like this childlike new creations. They lack the wisdom and understanding to rule well. And there at the center of the garden are two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, really probably better understood as the tree of good and bad, because evil is a little bit of a loaded word, and if we really were to look at tov and ra, the Hebrew words there, it's good and and bad, bad meaning unwise, unhelpful, unhelpful, but not necessarily always evil, but it can also incorporate the idea of evil. So we've got this tree of good and bad and the tree of life. And it is this daily choice for Adam and Eve. As they walk through the garden, will they walk in a loving, trusting relationship with with God who teaches them how to live, who teaches them how to lead? who teaches them how to do the things that he's called them to do and eat of the tree of life? Or will they choose what seems good in their own eyes? Will they choose their own way, their own path, and choose choose to eat of the tree the knowledge of Tov and Ra, of good and bad? We find there this story of what we all face. And and really so much of scripture brings us back to that moment and leaves every one of us standing in front of those two trees every day. Will we accept wisdom from God? Will we allow him to teach us wisdom? Will we allow him to direct our steps? Will we allow him to make our path straight? Will we allow him to be our sponsor? Will we allow him to lead us and guide us and call us into who he made us to be? so that we can do the things he created us to do, or will we set our own course? Will we choose our own path? Will we choose to to decide and define the knowledge of good and bad for ourselves? What is our choice? We see in Genesis the immediate results of Adam and Eve choosing what seemed good in their own eyes. I mean, it's right there in Genesis chapter three. Eve looks at the tree and saw that it looked good to her. It looked good to eat. It seemed in her eyes, the right path, regardless of what God had said, regardless of the wisdom of God, they chose their own path. And immediately it brought separation and isolation and loneliness and shame into the world. And that's what happens as we choose our own path. We decide what is right for ourselves instead of listening to God. We bring so much pain into our lives. We bring so much separation. We bring so much shame because we hear over and over again these these lies that we're not enough. And who do we think we are? Because we've tried to take on something that didn't belong to us instead of trusting God. There's a difference between the wisdom of earth and the wisdom of heaven the wisdom of man and the wisdom of heaven paul writes that that the wisdom of god is is like folly to men and the wisdom of men doesn't even match up to what would be foolish for god then there's james probably the brother of jesus writing in james chapter 3 Found in the New Testament, you're welcome to turn there. In James chapter 3, verse 17, we find these words. James chapter 3, verse 17. The wisdom that comes from heaven, this is the wisdom that comes from God, is first of all pure, then peace loving, considerate, submissive full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. The wisdom that comes from heaven is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. This is so opposite of everything the world tries to teach us to be today. We're not told to be pure. We're told to enjoy whatever we want, to to, this, to grab after immediate gratification for anything that might make us feel good in the moment, not about what will make us pure and good and holy and right and develop the best character in us. Instead, do whatever you can get away with. Do whatever feels good. Peace-loving? No. It's not about peace-loving. It's about Creating peace through violence and control. A false peace. As long as there is violence and control, that is not true peace. Consider it. No, we're told to watch out for ourselves, to trust no one, not to be considerate of others. Submissive, we hate that word even more. The idea of submitting to God or anyone else or authority that we disagree with being full of mercy and good fruit. Impartial, fair, just, and sincere. The wisdom of heaven. We see this wisdom demonstrated in the life of Daniel over and over again, but we don't have to look very far in the book of Daniel to see it start to rise up and how it affected him. You see, he was rooted in in the fear of God. He trusted God and God's truth above everything else. He knew God. And this led to wisdom and understanding. We see his knowledge of God demonstrated in his commitment to be in prayer three times a day, no matter what. It was important for him to maintain that connection to his creator. But not only that, he feared God. He chose God's ways. He chose the tree of life. One of the major understandings for Hebrew people of this time was to, to eat in a way that reflected God's instructions. And so when he is brought in to Babylon and he is put into training to serve the king and they want to feed him all sorts of things that don't match his faith and what he believes God wants for him, he finds a way and chooses obedience over God, obedience to God over his desire for gratification, over his desire to enjoy the things that are being given to him or the opportunities he He said he chooses God first and trusts that God will bring about the best future. Not only do we see this rooted there, but we see this wisdom. Because it, he doesn't take it further than it has to go. In fact, when his name is changed from Daniel to Belteshazzar, he allows it to happen. There's not a complaint. There isn't a control. There is not this constant, call me Daniel. Even though this new name praises some demonic God that he doesn't believe in, he doesn't allow it to get in the way of his opportunity to be an influence for the truth of the Creator. Not only that, he allows them to teach him whatever they want. They send him into three years of school where they teach him the occult. Now, there are all kinds of laws in the Old Testament about practicing the occult, but nothing about learning it. So what does Daniel do? He moves to the front. He becomes top of the class and he leads the way in learning. But he remains faithful to God. He allowed allowed Nebuchadnezzar, he allowed those around them to do what they pleased while he maintained his own ethic. He He didn't demand that everybody in the course eat vegetables and drink water when he did. He didn't demand that they pray three days like he did. He didn't demand that they make room for him. He didn't demand anything of them. He allowed them to do what they pleased while maintaining his own. He recognized that he didn't have control over the choices of other people. And he didn't try to legislate it. He didn't try to make it happen. He didn't demand it. He didn't even speak out against it. Instead, he exercised a wisdom that was tolerant. Now I get the word tolerance in our culture today gets a bad rap and it is used in a way that's not used here in Scripture or understood in the way of Daniel or the way of Scripture. Today, when we say tolerance, we mean everyone's right. And it's not okay to say that anything is wrong or to believe that anything is wrong for you. Instead, it's this this voice that just constantly says everything's okay, everything's true, everything everything is relative, but biblical tolerance is a little bit different. Biblical tolerance is simply the willingness and ability to allow someone else to think and believe and do something that you believe is wrong or know is wrong. You don't have to control everyone around you's behavior. And you don't have to speak out about everything you think and believe, especially if that opinion and belief and value is not solicited. We live in a post-Christian world. We live in a world in which the, the Christian majority is no longer a majority. And that's okay. We don't need to be in power or political power to have influence, to see the kingdom of God break forth. In fact, whenever Christians get into power, it tends to mess things up. It tends to muddy things, and it's bad for the church. It's bad for our witness. It's bad for our faith. And we need to remember that we are committed to the kingdom of God not to a nation, not to a political party. We are committed to the kingdom of God and we are on mission to see that kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We are on mission to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are on mission to love our enemies until they're not enemies anymore. We are called to love as he loved us, which was to lay down his life for us while we were still his enemies, while we were still rejecting him. He sacrificed. Whenever Jesus comes across those who are wandering and lost, he offers compassion and grace and listening. Jesus only ever speaks harshly to religious people who think they're right about everything. So maybe for us, if we're going to thrive in Babylon, if we're going to recover our Christian witness, if we're going to see the church thrive again, it's going to require some hope, it's going to require some humility, and it's going to have to require some wisdom. We've got to learn which battles are worth fighting and which ones are not. You see, this book, this book is all about teaching us wisdom how to live this out and that can be confusing at times so if we go to proverbs chapter 26 verses 4 and 5 we find these words do not answer a fool according to his folly or you will be like him yourself essentially don't answer a fool or you will become the fool You become a fool as you chase after every fool out there, every lie, every wrong decision, everything you disagree with, looking to correct and fix everyone. When you expect those who aren't wise to act as if they're wise, you become the fool. But then this gets really interesting in verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Okay, if ever... Scripture is confusing. It's in moments like these.